It is time for a rather sudden but quite welcome pool party for today before we get into community quick hits. I owe you this, right? I mean, I was gone a day and an hour. I'd say you do owe me this. Yeah, you need But some, not just me. You owe everybody I this. I do. America. All right, so over the weekend, I made a trip to Florida, or I'm sorry, Alabama and Florida, really, uh, to Gulf Shores, Alabama, to go to the Hangout Music Festival down on the sunny, sandy beaches of Gulf Shores, which I'll get into that sometime later on this week when we have time, because I have many tales from that for sure. But I wanted to tell you guys about my incident on Friday morning trying to get out of this city and meet my friends down there at the festival because I had some friends coming in from South Carolina and Georgia and we were all meeting at the Pensacola airport around noon. All our flights got in about that time. So my flight took off at 6 a.m. or 6.15 in the morning. That's early. That's it is real early. It is. But I'm fine with that. I had a connecting flight in Memphis that took me to Pensacola, and I was going to get there, like I said, around noon. Mm-hmm. So I wake up at about 4.15, get to the airport by about 5.15. So I'm an hour early, go through security, and um, guy, you know, checks my ID, checks my boarding pass, marks it off as they will. Mm-hmm. Go in the airport, go to my gate. So you cleared security? A miracle, right? You d- didn't try to take your sword with you? No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I know it's hard for you to leave the house without that thing. It's almost impossible. I mean, you've changed ever since you started watching Game of Thrones. I know. I love swords. So I go to my gate and... I like swords, too. I look at the... Uh, Actually, I've started watching the show Swords. Oh, there's a show? What, I think, it's called, A&E or? I think it's called S-Words. <laughs> I'll take S-Words. Actually, it's about sword fishing. Yeah. So Good. I go to my gate. I look at the little monitor that says, all right, flight leaves at whatever time. And it says, it, at my gate, it says the flight leaves at 6.05. I'm like, oh, they backed it up 10 minutes. Mm. And then I look at the actual flight number on the screen, and it doesn't match mine. Right. But it is Delta Airlines, okay? I bought a Delta Airlines ticket, mm-hmm. and the, it says going to Memphis. So I just kind of walk up to the counter. I'm like, why didn't this match up? And uh, she goes, oh, um, I don't know. What is this? I go, it's my boarding pass. And she looks at it, and she goes, you're supposed to be at Love Field. Holy crap. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's yeah. funny. What? Why did they issue a boarding pass there? I printed it off the night before online. Oh, okay. But it said in little letters, Love Field. Mm-hmm. But the, I got through security with it. Well, you got through your bag check and all that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but they, they looked at Did you at check me. a bag? No, 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 no. I didn't check a bag. You were lucky. Yeah, I know. But they're looking, you know, they, they look at your boarding pass mm-hmm. to match everything up, and it says Love Field on there. I just didn't, I didn't know Delta flew out of Love Field. Had no idea. None whatsoever. So you blame this on TSA? Uh, no, I don't. Really I blame this on me. But at this point, I'm thinking, holy crap. I gotta, I'd go with TSA. 
So I go to the Delta counter mm-hmm. and I go, help me, get me to Memphis. And they're like, mm, I can't, that flight's all booked up, the 605 flight. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's about 5.30. Okay, the thing leaves when? 6.15. So I'm thinking, I've got time. I've got time. Yes. Did you park there? Or did yeah. you take a cab there? I parked there. So okay. I sprint to my car, get in. And it is, my clock says 5.37 as I'm leaving the airport. For a 6.15 flight. For a 6.15 flight going back from DFW to Love. You already got your boarding pass. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. How, how snake oh, is this? Oh, it gets so much snakier. Keep going. Get to the airport right at 6 o'clock. I am sprinting. Through Love Field. Mm-hmm. I mean, how like the hell do you get to Love Field from there by 6 o'clock? It's not that Dude, far. It's not that far. And I was going, I just took 35, or 183 yeah. to 35, 35 to Mockingbird. Mockingbird. Yes. You're right there. Thank you, BMW. It's like, it's like a 15-minute trip. If you're if there's no traffic, which right. was early okay. enough in the morning. All right. Yeah, I guess so. It was early okay. enough in the morning you know, to take the south entrance. All right. Exit. So anyway, get there. Run. I mean, I got because you know they'll shut the door with five minutes to go. Yeah, they won't let you on. You're, You're like, like OJ in the Hurts yes, commercial. Yes, I was so much like OJ. So I'm sprinting. I got flip flops. I got my backpack on. I have one bag that I that I'm carrying too, just with you know shorts. And so I'm sprinting through there. I make it to the security line right around six o three. There's a little bit of a line. Well, I get to the to the guy. Uh, the security guy, I hand him my boarding pass, I hand him my ID, and I'm like, I'm in a big hurry, man, you know, and I'm panicking, and uh-huh. I'm sweating profusely. Right. Running from the parking lot all the way through the airport. And he looks at me, and he goes, oh, I'm sorry, this is the Southwest baggage, or Southwest security line. The Delta one is the our new terminal over there. And I go, what? What, what, what new terminal? Are you guys familiar with this? At Love Field? Uh-uh. Yeah. Okay. There's a new terminal. And guess what? What? It's a half mile away. Well, you're a marathon runner. You should have done great. So, guess what I do? Sprint. Sprint again. This time, took the flip-flops off. I am hauling ass. All right. So, he goes, He goes. I don't know if you're going to make this, man. And I grab my ID. Mm-hmm. I grab my boarding pass. I turn, and I start sprinting. And I have my shoes in my hand. Like a girl leaving a... Yeah. The, Walk of shame. I mean, in the I, 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 it's like I'm sweating so ball soup everywhere. I mean, it's just Ugh. disgusting. I've so, tried to hitchhike. I ordered that the other night at New Big Wong. It was terrible. Ball soup. Yeah. So I run, I run, I run, I run. And by the time I get there, it's 6 15. Too late. And I see my plane taking off. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So, I am in a panic. There's Are you a, in tears? Yeah, because Southwest doesn't fly to Memphis, which I need to get my other connecting flight, mm-hmm. okay? There are no flights that would get me there in time from any airline mm-hmm. to get me to Memphis to catch my connecting flight. Then I'm thinking, okay, how do I get to Pensacola? Who flies to Pensacola? Well, I call my buddy. I had one buddy leaving from Dallas, and his flight left at 8.30 in the morning on American Eagle. So it's still 6.15. Mm-hmm. So I call American Eagle. Uh, how can we help you? I'm like, can I get on your 8.30 flight? Um, yeah, there is an opening. That's going to be $1,400. Uh, 
I'm like, okay, I'll take it. I, I don't care what it costs. Just get me on that flight. Mm. It'll be $1,200. I knew it. I knew Whoa. $1,200. One way? One way. What? That is opulence. Ruse. So I, at this point, are okay. You, are you thinking about canceling? Oh, yeah. 1200 bucks. Yeah. So. You must I, have really wanted to do this. I go to the gas station. To put gas in my car that was another thing. I was on empty going from DFW to Love Field. So I fill up my car and I start driving to DFW, back to DFW, to American Eagle, just to see what I can work out with them. Like just, I just want to see what I can do here. Well, as I'm paying for my gas, mm-hmm. I put my credit card in there, put it back in my wallet, and as I put my credit card back in my wallet, I look down and realize that my driver's license was not in my wallet. Now, mind you, I had handed my driver's license to the security guy at the southwest counter, all right? Grabbed it from him and turned to run to the Delta security. Okay. Somewhere along the way, I dropped it. I love this story so much. (laughs) What's next, Corby? So now, now, I have no ID. It's going to cost me $1,200 to get on a flight that I don't even think I can get on with no ID. Guess what I, Guess what my ID consisted of at this point? My Mavericks Media credential. That was my ID with mm-hmm. my big smiling face and a goatee. From about 10 years ago. From, yeah, from 1830. You could have showed him your Dallas Aquarium ID. <laughs> Cobby? So I go back to Love Field. To, from the gas station to look for my ID, thinking I'm good. God, yeah. I would have just gone home. I, I'm so tired because I've been up since I would have gone in the home morning. and gone back to bed and just forgot the whole damn thing. Mark, okay. really tired. <laughs> so I get back to DFW. I get in line. At this point, after I'd gone back to uh, Love Field to search for my ID, it was about seven fifteen. Okay, the flight left at eight thirty. Mm-hmm. I get there an hour before that flight takes off. And you got to go back to DFW, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. I got. And they wouldn't let me. If I wanted to purchase it, I had to do it at the counter. They wouldn't right. let me do it on the phone. Mm-hmm. So I get to the American Eagle counter. There's about thirty people in line, and I sit there, and I sit there, and I sit there. Wait, don't, did you find your ID? No, no, well, absolutely, you still don't have it? absolutely not. You still don't have it? No. Like, to this day, you don't have it? No. Oh, my God. Yes. You have a passport, don't you? It's expired. So you're completely undocumented? Completely. Wow. So I finally get up to the front of the line, and it's like 8 o'clock. The flight, or 8.15. The flight leaves in 15 minutes. I look at the lady. She's looking at me like, what just happened to you? I mean, I literally have tears. Why are you so sweaty? I have tears in my eyes, for real. I am drenched. I smell like a goat's ass because I hadn't showered. I didn't shower that morning. And she goes, oh. And she was Jamaican. She's like, oh, honey. And I told her the story, you know, and and, um, she's like, she goes, we can't get you on this flight. Because she goes, look at the security line over there. Mm -hmm. She goes, it's going to take you an hour with no ID, maybe you'll get through security. Mm-hmm. She goes, but we do have a flight that leaves to Pensacola at 11.50. Okay. And she goes, it, it'll cost you $330. Well, why was that one so cheap? I don't know. I don't know. 
So I was like, book me on that. I'm going to go back home, try to dig up some sort of ID, mm-hmm. and I'll be back. So... I go back home. Meanwhile, my wife's like... What are you doing? What's, what's happening? And you're trying to not have to explain it? Yeah. But more questions are happening while of you're... Of course. ...rifling through drawers? Yeah. I found a driver's license that expired in 2005. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed my passport, which expired in 2008. Take them back to the airport. And with my Mavericks ID as well, because I wanted something that looked like I was of some import. Import. I wanted to flash a little like, hey, look what hey, I do. I, yeah, I, I cover the Mavericks. Do this. Yeah. How about you? I get to stand in a basement room with a stupid MP3 recorder over <laughs> holding, my head for a half yeah, an hour. Yeah, holding it up to the ceiling. This is great. Thanks, Cat. So I get in the security line, and the dude's like, are you kidding me? And I get, and you've been in this situation before, because I've been on a flight with you that you forgot your driver's license. And yeah. they, I, I had four or it's five, fun. four or five people have to come over looking at you, scanning you, doing Poking whatever. You to, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's Corby Davison of the ticket. And finally, they're like, they're like, you. And this is what drives me crazy, is they have the gall and the audacity to say, you really should get these updated. Really? No joke, dumbass. I mean, you you think that? I I realized that. I lost my ID. And then each guy that comes over, they have to retell the story to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was running through the love field like OJ and somehow dropped his ID. I don't get it. I don't know how he did it. You know, and I'm just sitting there, just all doe-eyed, like, okay. Finally. They let me on. They let me through security, and I get on my flight, and I head to Pensacola, and I get there about two hours late, but I made it. Smoke pot. I made it. And the exuberation. Of sitting down in your seat on the plane? Yes. Of just sitting down. You stand up and do that? Yeah. And just knowing that I have made it after all of that. It was so, all I could think of was telling you guys and how you all would be like, this is so you. You're the only person who could yes. do something like this. To go to the wrong airport, to haul ass back, to lose your driver's license, to go back to the other airport, to contemplate purchasing a $1,200 ticket, and I was going to do it. Because I was so determined at that point, I'm like, just put it on a credit card, I'll pay you later. <laughs> I bet when you got there, that first goo ball tasted so good. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, when it first hits your Man, lips. The, the contemplation of the $1,200 flight ticket, that is such commitment to getting away from your family for three days. No, it's commitment to the situation. That slut that I married. It's commitment <laughs> to the situation. Because I reached a point where so many bad things had happened mm-hmm. that how could I – you know what was the next – You were going to win. You know what was the next step for me if I couldn't get on that flight? Driving. Driving. Ten hours. And I swear to God I was going to do it. But then I was like, how am I going to get back on Monday? That sounds like situational commitment to me. I'll have to drive back at 3 in the morning yes, to get, make would. it back for the show. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, well, maybe I can rent a car. Oh, no, I don't have a driver's license. Mm-hmm. I'll be back in the morning. But you had an expired driver's license, an expired passport, and a Mavericks credential. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> and it is not fun. And then going back in the airport this morning and having to go through the same rigmarole with the security people. You know what this is? This is revenge. 
This is revenge for the way that you treat people at rental car discharges. This mean? is revenge for the way that you talk to the the security at at surprise at the ballpark and yeah. how you make, yeah, you may make up names Sammy? for them. Yes, yeah, Sammy. 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 <laughs> you guys do it too. No, uh, you're the leader of it though, and you're the one that asked how you get to Phoenix, and he goes, "You're in Phoenix." <laughs> That's that's what this is. This is karma that's coming right. back to this bite you on travel, the taint. Travel revenge. Yes, it is. Travel karma. See, the only thing would have happened to me, I would have had all of my ducks in a row. The only thing would have happened to me, I would have just overslept the alarm clock. Right, right. But everything else would have worked out fine. Oh, man. Yeah, dude. You are a disaster. I know. I don't know how I make it through life. I barely, barely can. Barely. That tale is so convoluted. And so drawn out that I can't go back through it right now off the top of my Trace head the and, find, and find that point very early on in it where I would have said, screw it. <laughs> I can't find it from here. Would have to start over for me to get there. <sighs> yeah, it was bad. It was really, really bad. But now I have a good story, right? My favorite cobra. Yeah, I guess. Yep. So why did you go down there to go see the Allman Brothers or something? Yeah, I'll tell you all about the Allman Brothers in the coming days. All I right. have many tales. The Outlaws. <laughs> that was the highlight of the whole trip, seeing the Outlaws and Mountain. Roger Daltrey. In Black Oak, Arkansas. Right. Oh, if only Mountain could have been there. <laughs> Johnny Winter. Johnny Winter. Who else? Foghat. <laughs> That's my favorite one. Foghat. <laughs> Why is it Foghat, but there's ZZ Top playing in the background? Because it's the ZZ Top cruise. Oh, yeah. ZZ Top. <laughs> Foghat. <laughs> Steppenwolf. <laughs> Molly Hatchet. No. Johnny Winter. Or Marshall Tucker Band. Dickie Betts and Black Drivers. Blackfoot. The Outlaws. <laughs> Blackfoot. They had, a, they had an album with a snake on it, didn't they? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Did they? Yes. So I was in my dark period. What's the moral of the story? I don't know. Don't be me. How about that? No, I gotta go poop. There you go. Don't turn into me. <laughs> That's the moral. The ticket. So Sunday after the P or during the PGA, my my youngest kid he loves golf. He does. And so he was like, "Can we please go play when this is over with?" And I was like, "Yeah, we can try to squeeze in nine holes at." seven o'clock or whatever and play for an hour and a half and it gets dark and leave, which is exactly what we did. Hauled ass out to the golf course, played nine holes, came back. How'd he do? Uh he's fine. He's fine. He beat you? He did not. Um Don't let him win. He, never. So we get he goes to the bathroom, I get in the car and I'm waiting on him, and as I'm waiting on him I grab my phone and one of my high school friends sent the OJ tweet congratulating Phil Mickelson. <laughs> and it was so we're like always waiting for something to the effect of thank God that OJ weighed in. Yeah. And so I'm watching this and we'll play it. It's only a minute and a half. And I'll tell you what transpired. Hey, Twitter World, it's me, yours truly. What a day for golf. And I played a little bit, but man, watching that PGA today was something else. Phil Mickelson. Congratulations. I don't like the way he says his last Mickelson. name. Mickelson. Mickelson. Congratulations. I mean, 
50 years old a couple of weeks from 51 and to win a major, I, now I know how that feel because he's the first guy to ever do that. I remember I went over 2,000 yards and I knew the record would be broken eventually, but I knew I was the first guy to do it, albeit only guy has done it in 14 games. But hey, just get that in there. Yeah. While we're talking, let's make it about me. <laughs> Let me, uh, the murderer. Let me remind you people what I used to do before yeah. you knew me as a murderer. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> well I only did it in 14 games. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, Phil has done something that nobody's ever done before, you know. I've always felt that Phil was just one of the all-time great golfers. Um, unfortunately, he came along at the time of Tiger Woods, so he didn't always get maybe what he deserved. But he's getting it now. Two weeks or two and a half weeks away from uh, 51 years old. And winning a major. Now, the two runner-ups are Oosthausen, who, I congratulations to him. Now, I got to admit, every time I see Oosthausen smile, I think of Alfred E. Newman. <laughs> and Brooks Kepka, Brooks is my favorite golfer. I mean, next to Tiger. Tiger's not playing, so Brooks my guy. So, apparently, we were wrong about Brooks. Brooks trends very well in the younger demo and OJ. <laughs> How about... Uh... How about an Alfred E. Newman joke? Yeah, I know. I don't think that's complimentary of no, Mr. Louis. I own him all the time, but I know it's pretty tough coming back from a knee injury. I had my share of knee injuries, but congratulations. So, more about him. The door opens right here, all right? As I'm watching this in my car by myself, the door opens, and here comes Van. Okay. All right, so he immediately looks at the phone. Of knee injuries, but congratulations to him also. And guess what? Tiger, this got to be an encouraging thing. Tiger's 45, coming back from injuries. Bill's winning it at virtually 51. He got five years, Tiger, to bring it back. In any event, this is Phil's day. Congratulations, Phil Mickelson. You the man. I'm just saying. Take care. I'm just saying. Okay. So. You think he's got merch that says, I'm just saying? Probably so. And he's sitting there, you know, like on the the veranda somewhere overlooking a golf course. He's wearing the golf hat and all that. Of course he is. So my kid asked me, who is that? And I said, that's OJ. Or OJ Simpson or whatever. And as I put the phone away, he goes, oh, okay. (laughs) And I look at him, I go, do you know who that is? And he goes, yeah, I know who that is. Okay. And then I was like, hang on. And I... Pull the phone out again. Like every true dad would. Right. And we ask him, simply, who is O.J. Simpson? Okay, who is O.J. Simpson? Um, I don't know. The first black guy to ever win a major? The first black guy to ever win a major. <laughs> Love him. Yes. Nice try, old timer, but I don't think so. That's correct, sir. Okay, who is O.J. Simpson? Um... I don't know. The first black guy to ever win a major? Boys, what is he? (laughs) What is he? The first black guy to ever win a major? No, he's not. What is he? You've you've never heard of him? O.J. Simpson? Oh, is he an NFL player? Yes. Wait, 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 wait. So then he tries to grab the phone because right. he wants to redo the interview. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know he is now. Give me shot at this day. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> what is O.J. Simpson known for? Um, I know I know this one. I know this one. He's famous. Isn't he, wasn't he, uh, 
Linebacker? No, no, no. Linebacker. No. Wide receiver? No. He's a running back. Oh, one of the best running... He was known... For having, like, I don't know, the most rushing yards? Yeah, he got 2,000... He was the first running back to get 2,000 yards. I know it. I knew it. I yeah. just... I was yeah, thinking. I knew yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I told... Linebacker? The black first receiver? black guy to win a major. <laughs> I knew it. And everybody lived happily ever after. Okay, Dad, can I we go play it. another nine? Uh, hang on. <laughs> nope. I was thinking of someone else. No. That I saw. That's what he's known for. And um, he also cut the heads off of two people. Oh, sign me up. <laughs> for what? <laughs> he literally cut two people's heads off. One was his wife. I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah, you are. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you, are. you don't know who he is? <laughs> yes, you <laughs> I know he just cut someone's head off. <laughs> <laughs> He cut... No, you're right. He didn't cut one guy's head off. He cut two people's heads off. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Oh, my God. No, he We're didn't. We're going home and watching the freaking O.J. Simpson murder trial. He murdered two people. No, he didn't. He'd be in sentenced to jail for life. Oh, you've got a lot to watch. You, you would a think. a lot to watch, kid. A lot. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> man sign me up man i love it yeah i think uh, a weekly review of the people versus oj simpson with your 12 year old is in our future i mean you think about this I, how does he i mean god they don't know how would he know they don't know man they don't know who O.J. Simpson is. And nothing about isotoners or <laughs> Naked Gun. Hurts. Yeah. And you know what? I know my oldest has seen the Naked Gun series. I don't think Van has. Mm -hmm. I know the oldest has. So he would know O.J. Yeah, the, the the cool actor. What was his name in those movies? I can't remember. But yeah, he definitely would know who he is. He went down the stairs in a wheelchair. Yes. That guy's hilarious. One of the greatest physical comedians that that generation's ever seen. Do you think you could have softened that a little bit to your boy? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was all like it was all teed up for for that moment. Wow. Yeah. Who's Norberg. Norberg. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Let me see here. I know it. I knew it. I yeah. just I was thinking of someone else. No. That I saw. That's what he's known for, and. Um, he also cut the heads off of two people. <laughs> oh, sign me up. He has no idea what to do with that. No. No. Man. Why does my dad torture me with his phone and <laughs> recording me and asking me questions? He's telling me purposeful lies to see what I'll say oh, about running backs. His dad's a jerk. Who would certainly not be playing golf right now if you really did that there's <laughs> right, no way right. dad that's a thing that doesn't compute dad none of it makes sense but that's why you do you have to go back and you have to watch that now do we watch the espn docuseries or do we watch the the drama the uh, actual tv show watch the documentary yeah he'll love a 12-hour documentary <laughs> on a murder case <laughs> wow yep so there you go that if, was uh, red hot I, stuff, I just never thought that there'd be human beings walking around the earth that had no idea who oj simpson was well we're we're definitely there yeah we? we are all right up next the nfl had a big night on sports center the ticket Monster. 
Here he is, Bob Stern. Ah, yes, it's your monthly look at the great state of Texas. And uh, we're several into this series, and we have yet to touch the sports plate. I have two sports. That's what I like about Texas episodes in the hoppa. This is the first one. Now, before we dive into it, I'm going to ask that you allow me this one time to tell you a story that might get the roll of the eyes because of the timing. Because this is a Texas A&M story. It's not going to get an eye roll from me. Okay. Everybody cool? We all on the same page here? Danny? You might get a uh, Brooksy S guy roll from me, but, you know. <laughs> I've never heard this story. Don't let that stop you. And it's not the 12th man story that we've all heard. Does anybody want to tell the quick 12th man story? No. The quick E. King Gill story? Yeah, I from think. the early 1900s. From like 1920 <laughs> or whatever it was. Yeah. Do you know the story? Uh, I know that uh, it's either he literally came out of the crowd or something to that so, effect. So the Aggies were getting a bunch of players hurt, and apparently there was some distress, if this is all true, that uh, they were running out of players. We may not be able to finish this game. And one of the members of the student body uh, – could be the core. In fact, maybe the whole school was the core back then. I'm not even sure. But somebody showed up and told the coach, I'm here if you need me, and he was in a full uniform. And there's a statue outside Kyle Field, and that guy's name was E. King Gill. You believe this? No, it's um, true. It's true. Yeah, I think it's true. Is there video? I did, it's probably... HD, actually. It's probably 4K. But that's the only 12th man story I knew... All the way up to present day where you see a guy wearing number 12 and he runs out and covers kicks. In fact, I think one of the 12th men a couple years ago was actually a fullback Yeah, that uh, Gillespie, uh, and he scored a touchdown in his final game, and that was big news. I think he might have blocked a punt. But the 12th man was a callback to 100 years ago, and it was one guy representing the student body will take the field and cover kicks. And I did not know the Jackie Sherrill thread of this story. Did you? See. This is wild. First off, Jackie Sherrill in the era of Jackie Sherrill is one of the most overlooked eras in Texas football. And not okay. not, not like the state of Texas, not Texas A&M, just the state overall. The entirety of it is insane. Okay, so uh, A&M was awful between, I think, their last Southwest Conference championship in the mid-60s, maybe 1967, and 1982. They basically, almost like the Jimbo thing, got sick and tired of being sick and tired and said, we're going to get a big-time coach. They had it down to two guys, Bo Schembechler from Michigan and Jackie Sherrill from Pitt. Bo Schembechler was their guy, but at the last second, he turned down the King's ransom they were offering. They were offering the biggest contract in college football, if this sounds familiar. It's a million, I it, believe. I, I, I don't know the exact terms. I'll take your word for it. Jackie Sherrill was their second choice, took the job. In fact, I believe his introductory press conference in, in, even said, you know, sometimes 
you marry your second choice and it turns out really well. And everybody laughed and looked at his wife and said, I hope he wasn't talking about you. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bo Schembechler turned him down. Stu Cedar was able to get to him at the last second and keep him there. And so Cheryl got the largest contract in college football history at the time to come coach the Fighting Texas Aggies. In 1982, they had a very poor year or a losing record, disappointing, like this is what we paid for. So he felt he had to shake things up. This is crazy to me. I had never heard this story. At the end of the 82 season, he uh, had somebody from the Aggie Corps reach out to him and ask, do you want to be the coach at A&M or do you want to be an actual Aggie coach? Because if you want to be an actual Aggie coach, follow me. And he took him to Bonfire. Took him to the Bonfire stack. And apparently this resonated with Jackie Sherrill, and maybe he had no idea what he was getting into. But by the end of his experience, he was telling those guys, I bet you some of you guys could come play for me. Somehow he went from that to a month later showing up, and uh, he was at the uh, core uh, cafeteria. And uh, here is a cut from the documentary on the SEC network called uh, No Experience Required? No Experience Necessary. Here it is. These guys were core mates. These guys were roommates. They had a connection to the student body that none of the football players had. I said, I can find 11 guys that are tough and will do anything to get on the field that could make a kickoff team. Jackie Sherrill ran an ad talking about his dream of the 12th man kickoff team and ended it with a phrase that became famous on Texas A&M's campus. No experience required. As the ad ran in the Aggie student newspaper, Coach Sherrill focused his search for players on the Army Corps of Cadets. The cadets are Texas A&M's 2,500 enlisted students who, in addition to running the bonfire, made up the Aggie band, known for discipline and toughness. On a February night in 1983, he showed up at the cadet dining hall unannounced. They call the room to attention, which means no other voices, just this voice over the PA system. So we hear this voice, we'd never heard it before, and he goes, hey, I've got a kickoff team, and I'm looking for some guys to go down and cover kickoffs. And I want to get them from this group right here. The place went crazy. I think it's really good because it's going to be involve the core a lot more. We stand behind the football team 100%. I was in my senior year in the core. I hadn't played football since my senior year in high school. You know, I never thought that I'd ever have the opportunity to go on a football field in pads ever again. I thought I was done. I didn't see the field much in high school at all. No, believe it or not, my um, primary sport was tennis. I can't tell you how insane this is. So Jackie Sherrill just won the national title at Pitt? Or what did they... No, no, no. I'm, am I mixing that up? Uh, You're thinking of Johnny... Majors. Majors, yeah. Jackie Sherrill just got the biggest contract in college football history. This is not some tiny little gig that nobody is keeping track of. And he, Sounds like a minor league baseball stunt. And he just went and got 11 dudes from the core who all weigh about 180, played Texas high school football, but haven't played or since. Tennis. 
or tennis in that one guy's case. <laughs> he said that because he was the black guy on the kickoff team. Like it's all little white guys and yeah. then one one brother and he said he was a tennis player. <laughs> Dude, all these guys are tiny and they're playing for Texas A&M. Meanwhile, Texas A&M has all these scholarship athletes, a bunch who went on to the NFL. And they're not covering their own kicks. I have all the questions in the world. So, okay, so this is three years or four years after Dick Vermeil pulled the stunt in Philadelphia, which became a movie with Vince Papale, where he said, this is the worst bunch of nothing that I've ever seen. And A&M was terrible. Yeah. A&M was a terrible, terrible football program at the time. And this was what... what uh, Vermeil did in Philadelphia was just have open tryouts in the city, see if we can find a guy, maybe mm-hmm. a guy to to, to cover kick, so block like, a punt. Ah, twelfth man. Yes, yes, one guy. And the way I remember it is that is that he was inspired by this by that story. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Because it was fresh on everybody's mind. It yeah. was a big story back then that they had this tryout in Philadelphia, and so what better way to get school spirit up and i think right th- this was the stunt well this was it, it absolutely was yes stunt. yes there was a big disconnect at a&m between the right. the players and the student body like the student body wanted you to win more than the players did and blah 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 well it was also known the core was also known they were the butt of every joke of the aggie joke that oh we yeah talked about. no we'll get to aggie joke here in a moment okay but yeah. this was a way to to make them seem legit yeah and, well, it, and it was brilliant i mean i remember this as a sixth grader dude this is so crazy. So they had to go practice for, well, first of all, 300 people tried out to be on the special teams. They kept knocking it down to uh, 125 and then down to 75 and 50 and 30. And finally, they ended up with, I think, 16 dudes. Now, they could only play home games, which makes it even crazier because you actually did have scholarship guys covering kicks on road games. Yeah. Makes no sense. Uh, they then they had to go to practice and they had to stand up against the scholarship guys and they were all offended that you have dudes from the student body playing football against us a hundred pounds lighter in just about every case they're all slow they you know again these dudes are not football players um so they play their first game against Cal you know what I want to play this one too for you real fast you know I wasn't supposed to be there I was undersized slow. And I'm playing with you know, some of the best athletes that ever come through Texas. So, yeah, I questioned myself, but I was also hell-bent and determined to be on this football team. All I can say is that the other teams don't know what's coming at them. Uh, we're a bunch of crazy Aggies, and we're going to be running down that field trying to eat everything that gets in our way. I just remember how motivated I was and how excited I was. You're not allowed on Kyle Field unless you're players because it's considered to be sacred ground. And here we were getting to to be on Caulfield. Now, they still thought all the way up through the first game to the first game, I wasn't going to do it. So Jackie Sherrill is having trouble convincing people he's serious about this. So now they open 83 against Cal. And this is one of the big stories is the here are the Cal Golden Bears who just had the Cal Stanford game oh, like right. in the last yeah. season. Their kickoff is going to be against these 11 dudes out of the student body. And so they called an onside kick to open the season. <laughs> like Cal is ready. We're going to run this back to the. Un- they recovered it, but it didn't go 10 yards. 
And so now they really have to kick off, and Cal beat them that night. But I could not believe what would happen over the course of the next several years. First of all, they were top five in covering kicks over the next seven seasons. They went 177 kickoffs without allowing a touchdown. That is absolutely bonkers. Then, of course, by 85... Kevin Murray and the Aggies are winning the Southwest Conference three straight years. And they're going to the Cotton Bowl three straight years. And they're winning 10 games, I think, three straight years. Maybe 10, 9, and 10, if I recall. But it culminated with uh, Eric Metcalf at Texas coming into Kyle Field and uh, trying to score on the student body. They weren't going to uh, allow a touchdown. Now, there were some bigger returns, but this is why I asked you a couple months ago about Tim Brown and the towel. Yeah. Because this was in the Cotton Bowl where they're trying to steal the towel from, from Tim Brown, and they actually did, and then Tim Brown got up and ran after it and tackled him, and Brent's like, what got into Tim so Brown? Why Tim Brown he... had won the Heisman that year. Yes. And he's a month or you know, three weeks removed from collecting the trophy and he's the biggest thing in college football, and these dudes are trying to steal his towel. Yeah, every single because he had the towel that draped over his crotch. Or oh whatever, yeah, and yeah, that was. And he deal. talked about that's my swag. Yes, and so they're all excited because we're going to get this towel, and he's wrapping it up so they can't get it. <laughs> right, and they ran away with the towel, and uh, I, I I do need to wrap it up, but uh, they beat Notre Dame that day, thirty-five to ten. And yes, uh, Musburger did mention that day about Aggie jokes. I thought you would like it. You know, when I came down here for the Cotton Bowl three years ago, all I heard was Aggie jokes. Folks, I think the joke's on us. This is a pretty good football team. And they beat, they beat Notre Dame that day. Now, the postscript, of course, is that Jackie Sherrill got the program in trouble. Yeah. And uh, I, did he get dismissed or did he resign? I think he resigned. I Yeah, respectfully, I think he would have been fired if he hadn't resigned. Yes, but. he quit after 88. So they were Southwest Conference champions, 85, 86, 87, all the time having the student body. And it wasn't just the core. It was people from the student body also uh, wanting to get in on the fun. So every year they would have tryouts for these kickoff coverage. And uh, top five in kickoff coverage. Never gave one up until Texas Tech scored in 1990. Rodney Blackshear ran one back. And that's when R.C. Slocum, the new coach, said, No more. Yeah, let's go down to one. <laughs> one guy that man. was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, he, he, he's, his claim was it was too much to have two different kickoff teams, one for home, one for on the road. So we'll just have one. We'll have one twelfth man, and that's how it stays to this very day. Football's changing. We need to change with it, said R.C. Slocum. The amount of Southwest Conference programs that got in trouble from 85 to 88 is off the charts. A Payroll to Meet, I believe, was the book. Dude, it was a, the Wild West. I mean, every one of those programs had a checkbook that you could not imagine. You sh you find me a story that's as bonkers as 11 people from the student body trying to tackle Eric Metcalf repeatedly on kickoffs. From the band. That's insane. The band. That we're, we're instilled toughness and, and discipline. And the band. Not only in big-time college football, but good enough to win their conference three straight years. Yes. It's unreal, dude. I couldn't believe it. All right, good stuff. That's what he likes about Texas.
Titus and Tate, a podcast from two obsessed basketball lovers. Why would Roy Williams not coach the JV team at North Carolina? That would be That's great. how he started, right? Yeah. Brings it full circle. Yeah. Who do they play, by the way? Do they play Donda Academy in them? I think so. They play overtime. <laughs> they overtime. Yeah. There aren't that many JV teams left. They play like high school. They play like Oak Hill. They play like Montverde. <laughs> and then he starts like competing against Hubert for Carolina Yeah, players. they're like five-star signing to our JV team. <laughs> More than just analysts and stats, Titus and Tate, listen wherever you get your podcasts.